You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For a second, as I was standing here, it was just a split second, I was just staring at you guys. Did you maybe feel a little like, is she going to start talking? Like, what is this girl doing? (laughs) Now, that kind of silence is what we call awkward silence. It's okay to be uncomfortable with that. But I think there's also a kind of silence um, that we're also a little uncomfortable with, and that's just the sound of silence that fills our everyday. Um, I won't speak for you guys, but I know uh, personally for myself, I like to fill all silence um, with some sort of noise, um, whether it is the, the, the news playing in the background or music playing. Um, in every single room of my house, I either have a speaker or a TV in which to d- have some sort of sound happening. Even like in the midst of like my kids running around like screaming, I'm still like, nope, still need more. Um, because there's something about the silence that I am uncomfortable with. And I don't think this is just a Gabby problem. I think this is a, a common problem for most people. Uh, the philosopher um, Blaise Pascal once said that all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And yeah, we're, we're a little uncomfortable with silence, aren't we? But it's not all bad though, right? Silence isn't always a bad thing. Um, I think of like a friend who you're so comfortable with, you don't have to have conversation at all times. You're comfortable just sitting in silence with that person. Um, You know, you're on a road trip maybe, and you don't feel the need to talk for the whole eight hours. You You can sit in silence, or you're having a meal and you don't have to fill every moment with silence. And that is, Uh, That is an intimacy that comes from being with somebody who you really know. Because those are the kind of people you're comfortable in silence with, the kind of people that you really know. Well, we're in the middle of a sermon series on prayer, and we've been um, in the Psalms um, talking about the different kinds of prayer. And this morning we we get to talk about one of the types of prayer that I think is maybe, maybe a little more unheard of or maybe a little more underutilized. Um, and that's contemplative prayer. I know it was, for myself, at least, it wasn't really until recently that I really learned what, what it meant to pray with contemplation. What, what does that mean? So um, this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 62. We're going to start at verse 5. If you want to follow along with me, if you've got a Bible, if not, no worries. The words are going to be on the screen behind me. But we're going to be in Psalm 62, starting at verse 5. And if... The scripture says this. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. For my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, I I pray that it's never just random news, um, that you want to spend time with us, that you love us, 
that that be a constant, mysterious, curious thing, and wonderful thing for us, that you would long to be with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So what is contemplative prayer exactly? You might be asking yourself that. Um, something to know about me, I really like to look words up in the dictionary. I really like to pick apart their meaning. Um, and so not only do I have the definition for contemplation for you this morning, I've got two different um, definitions for you. One comes from Oxford Dictionary. And the first is that contemplation means the action of looking thoughtfully at something for a long time. That it's an action of looking thoughtfully at something for a time. And then if you were to look in the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of the word contemplation, you would find that it says it is to view or consider something with a continued attention. That it involves, it involves noticing and thinking. Um, that's what contemplation is. It's not just to see with your eyes, but also with your, your, with your mind and with your heart and to have a sustained attention toward a thing. And so if we were to take this definition and apply it to prayer, it is to look thoughtfully, to see God, to be seen by God with a continued and sustained attention. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila says that contemplative prayer is nothing else than a close sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. Contemplative prayer seeks him whom my soul loves. It is Jesus, and in him the Father. We seek him because to, to desire him is always the beginning of love, and we seek him in that pure faith which causes us to be born of him and to live in him. In this inner prayer, we can still meditate, but our attention is fixed on the Lord himself. So it's through contemplation that we, con we connect with God. That's what this time is. It's a time for connection with God. It's sharing between two friends. It's sharing between the God who loves us and knows us. It's silence between two people who are intimately connected, who understand each other. So then the question is, well, why? Why should I practice contemplative prayer? Well, first of all, we're designed for it. We, we long for it. It's a part of who we are. We long for this connection that comes through contemplation. Several years ago, um, I had the opportunity um, with my husband to take some high school students to LA on a missions trip. Uh, we spent our week um, partnering with different mission organizations in the city um, and doing some incredible work that was already happening. We just got to step in um, alongside them for a week and be a part of it. Um, and then we, we would come at the end of the day back to the church that was hosting us, um, and we'd rest, and we'd start the whole next day all over again. Well, um, there was one day that we had, we had toured Skid Row, and then we, we spent some time at the, um, the rescue mission that was there. And I spent like the whole day chopping onions um, for the meal that was going to go out. Um, it was a really long day. I really hate chopping onions. Like, it's just not like a passion of mine personally, but, um, but I did it um, because, because that's what we were there to do. And it was the end of the day, we'd come back to the church, and there was um, a Safeway, or I guess in California, a Ralph's? 
it doesn't matter. There's a grocery store across the street, and I just re I really wanted some chips. Like I just like I was really I just needed a snack. I wanted to rest my feet, and I wanted to have a snack. So I walk across to the grocery store, um, and as I'm walking in, um, there's a homeless man um, right outside the doors, and I and I see him. And if it, you know, to be honest with you, if we hadn't been already like in this mindset of serving, I probably would have just overlooked him. Um, but because because God had been like working on me, like mission trips also, side note. When we take kids on mission trips, sometimes we think it's like for them, but God does so much more in us like when we do those kinds of things. Um, and so God was like really working in me. And so instead of bypassing this man, I'm like, okay, I'm still in a hurry. I still want my chips. I'll get him a sandwich. So, so I go in, I pick out a sandwich, um, and I just want to give it to him and bless you, Lord, and just like go, and just go. I just wanted to go. Um, and so I, I, I give him a sandwich, and he is just so nice. He is the nicest man. And he just, he really wanted, he just really wanted to talk to me. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, I just, I want to go because I want, I, I want to get out of there. I'm busy. Um, but he, he's really longing for connection. And so this work that God had been doing in me, I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a deep breath, and I'm, I'm going to be present, and I'm going to connect. Because I, as I've reflected on this story, I like to think that he, he, I used to think that he's the one who really needed connection, but in that moment, I needed connection just as much as he did. And so I listened to his story, um, and, he, and he shared with me that he was HIV positive, and that this was why he wasn't able to get into any of the shelters around him was because of his status as somebody who's HIV positive, he wasn't allowed to stay at a lot of the shelters. And so he struggled to find a place. Um, and my heart just broke for this man. And so um, I asked if I could pray for him, and I did something that I would do to any, with anyone in this room. I, I placed my hand on his arm to pray for him. I don't know if you've ever, in praying for somebody, you just you want to lay your hands and you want to pray on them. And that's what I did for him. And in that moment, I put my hand on him, and he just started to cry. And he, he told me, when people know that I'm HIV positive, they don't, they're repulsed, they're recoiled, they don't want to touch me. And I don't remember the last time someone touched me. And, and we cried, I cried, he cried, we, like, we prayed and I hugged him. And I think about him all the time um, and pray for him all the time. In that moment, he longed for connection and my soul longed for connection. And when I stopped from my busyness, I, I was in this space to allow God to do something with that. Because we are people who long for connection. We long to be seen. It's what we're designed for. And in prayer is an opportunity to be seen and to connect with God. When I was in college, um, this was like peak Pinterest crafting days. I don't know if you're familiar with that time. It was a good time for us ladies in the 2000s. Um, but I had purchased um, an old Bible from Goodwill, and I, I ripped out some of the pages, which uh, now looking back feels like wrong, but I did it anyways. And I, I glued them all together, and I'd seen this quote, um, and I don't, I, I don't know who the author of this quote is, but um, I wrote across these pages, um, and it says, imagine meeting someone who understood the dustiest corner of your mixed up soul. And I had that as a decoration from apartment to apartment to, that I moved into to the first home I had with my husband, um, because that, that quote just really stuck with me, that God is somebody 
who understands the dustiest corner of our soul, like the stuff we're pa we've packed away to try and hide from others, God understands that, that dusty corner and yet still chooses, still chooses us, still loves us. Last week, um, we got to talk about confession. Um, and confession is, is a weighty thing. Um, when, we're, when we are faced and we acknowledge the brokenness that lies within us. And I think that there's just something really sweet um, to transition um, from last week's confession into this time of contemplation. Because I think sometimes we have this idea with others and with God that if I were fully seen, if I were fully known, like if you guys really, like if you really knew me, I don't know that you'd want to spend time with me. And I don't know if any of you feel that way, but I think sometimes we apply that feeling to God. Like, I have to hide from God because if God really knew, if God really knew, there'd be no way. Like, I know that it says that he would, but there'd be no way. But, but the truth of it is, is that God sees us. That God, in Psalm 139, um, says, search me, God, and know my heart, and that that's what God does God searches us and knows us and still chooses to want to spend time with us, to, to desire our presence. That the God who sees you is also the God who longs to be with you. We long for connection and we long to be seen. So where exactly does this longing come from? If this is something that's built into us and we're designed for, well, where did that come from? Well, in the, in the creation story in Genesis, in Genesis 1.26, um, it says, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. Well, the, the Hebrew word that's actually used for, for image, it's a word that, more than image, but more like, um, more like an object, um, an imitation, or an object that is representing something else. Um, it's like a physical representation. And then the Hebrew word that's used for likeness is actually, um, it's, it's a used word for when you need to describe something, so you use another thing to, to compare it to describe it. Like if you were to, to see an animal you'd never seen before, and someone's like, well, what was it like? You might say something like, oh, it was, it was like an otter. And that would give the person you're describing this to an idea of what the animal kind of looked like. Um, so it's a likeness um, is like a comparative word. It's, li it's like that thing. So. In saying that we are in God's image and likeness, it's almost like we're like a statue, um, an imitation. Not an, not an exact replica because we are, we, we are in his image, but we are not exactly perfect in God's per perfectness. But we are like a statue that others might be able to look to and say, oh, so that's, that's what God's like. Okay. And that we are to see God and to reflect God back to the rest of the world. And so that means um, that because... Um, because we are in God's image, in God's likeness, the fact that God desires to spend time with his creation is something that we are also like. God desires connection with his creation. Um, just as God walked through the Garden of Eden, um, if you were to continue reading in Genesis, to spend time with his creation. And we too, we desire connection because we are the image and likeness of our God. Our God who desires connection with his creation, we desire connection with creation as well. We might search for connection relationally. We might search for 
that connection through the people that we love. We might um, search through connection with nature. I mean, think of how that feeling you get when you're like up on the mountains and the air is like so crisp and there's trees and you just feel so connected to nature. That, like, that's a connection that we are searching for that comes because we are in the image of our God. We might search for connection through art or music or movies. And these aren't, these aren't bad things. These are not bad things to seek connection from. But unless we are connected with the creator regularly, regularly, our desire to connect with creation will feel like it won't stick. Like you, you come and you seek from this thing, and it's just not really filling you up. So you, you, you seek and you seek and you seek, trying to feel this connection that's just not really coming. And that's because the time with the creator enriches time with the creation. That when we're regularly spending time with our creator, it, it creates and enriches a connection with the creation. Um, I'll, put it, I'll put it to you guys like this. Have you ever tried to make a vinaigrette at home? You might discover that the vinegar and the oil, they always separate. You can shake it up as much as you like. It's just, it's not going to combine into one cohesive salad dressing. You could pour it on, but you're going to find you've got really oily, like, lettuce. And then at the very bottom of your salad bowl, you'll have pickled lettuce. Like, the two aren't just going to combine. They're going to be separated. And if you were to buy a vinaigrette from the grocery store, you'd see that that's not the case for those vinaigrettes. They're all combined. You can use those ones. And the reason for that was because those vinaigrettes have what is called an emulsifier. And an emulsifier is the thing that makes the molecules of the, of the oil and the molecules of the vinegar combine into one holistic thing. And so you get one delicious vinaigrette for your salad. We, my friends, are a nice vinaigrette. <laughs> I love a good analogy, you guys. <laughs> and without, without God, we'll, we'll seek creation, but we'll never really combine. The two together, they are great together. Vinegar and oil taste delicious, but they need to be combined in order to be a delicious thing. And we, us as creation and the creation are good. It's good to seek connection from it. But without God to mix us all up, it's just not going to be a holistic connection. And so that's why we need contemplative prayer. It's because it's a time for us to seek connection from God that enriches our time with the creation. Thanks for hanging in there with that. That was a good one. <laughs> The second reason that um, we should practice contemplative prayer is, well, because that's what Jesus does. Um, the Gospels um, have this really cool rhythm of Jesus constantly retreating and then re-entering. He's constantly retreating to be alone with God, with his, the Father, and then re-entering with community. And so throughout the Gospels, we've got this rhythm of re-enter, re retreat, re-enter, retreat. And so in the, in the Gospel of Mark, um, it says that after his, his fame spread everywhere and the whole city was just gathered at the door, they were, they were ready. They, 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 wanted, they wanted Jesus to heal them. They wanted to hear what he's talking about. It, there were things to be done. Um, but Jesus took a remarkable step, um, and he slipped away. 
And so Mark 135 um, says that in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. There are a whole long list of, of things Jesus could have been doing. There were people to be healed. There were messages to be shared. There was work to be done. And so Jesus does this remarkable thing, and instead of doing those things, he, he retreats. He takes some time alone with the Father in order to be able to re-enter. And then again, um, after the death of John the Baptist later on, um, Jesus withdraws um, in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Um, but even there, the, the crowds, they are hot on his tail. They are pursuing him. And, um, and he didn't despise them for that. He didn't, he didn't like roll his eyes like these people, oh my gosh. But he, he puts his desire to retreat on hold, actually, and has compassion on them. And then he heals their sick. He feeds, you know, a few 5,000 plus of them. And then um, he withdraws again at that point to a quiet place. Um, and Matthew 14, 23 says that after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus sought communion with his father. He sought connection. Um, he, he sought to be in the presence of God. And we don't retreat because of life's busyness um, and bustle as an end to itself. It benefits us. It benefits our brains and our bodies to, to retreat from life's busyness. But that isn't the end in itself. It, but um, actually, in Pascal's words, it's to sit quietly in a room alone. Um, it's not an achievement, but it's an instrument. It's an opportunity to open up our lives and souls for him who we were made and, and to know him and to enjoy him. Because it, it transforms us. It creates rhythms in us um, to spend time in the presence of God. That sitting in silence um, for a designated amount of time, it might, it might seem like a mundane, boring thing to do. Like, there are, aren't there more productive things that I could be doing? But it's actually in this space that God actually roots and grows and transforms us. So you might think of it as maybe the most productive thing, but also that's not the goal. The time... The time is just time with God to be enjoyed for time with God in and of itself. So we've asked what, we've asked why, now we get to ask how. How do we practice contemplative prayer? Um, but first, I want to talk about some misconceptions that we might have um, coming into this time. We might have, because we are human, we might have some expectations and some agenda items that we would like God to address in um, our time, and um, maybe we want, we're expecting God to talk about X. Maybe we want, maybe we're hoping that in this time of silence, God is going to speak a word to me about which career move I should make. God is going to speak a word to me about this relationship I'm not sure about. Um, fill in the blank. And we come into this, this time with God with our own expectations. But again, in this time and in this space, the goal is not answers. There, there, that isn't to say that you shouldn't ask requests of God, that you shouldn't pray the things your heart desires to God. But that is just to say that, that that's another prayer, that, that this time, this time of contemplation is a time for sitting alone 
for the sake of time spent with our God. It's tempting to enter into this space with our own expectations. But again, contemplation is the action of looking thoughtfully at God and seeing God and being seen by God. There's also no right or wrong time to do this. It might be another misconception we might have. Um, I know I, I feel like I became a Christian in a time where I was being told that the, um, the Christian routine was to wake up in the morning, have your quiet time, read your devotional, go about your day, and you're done. That's good. Um, and con- contemplative prayer, your prayer time, it might come in the morning. That might be the best time of day for you. That's great. It also might not be. You might also find that the evening time makes the most sense because you've had a long day, you were, you, you were chopping onions all day, who knows? And, <laughs> and, and you need to end your day entering into the presence of God. Maybe that's what works for you. Or, or you might also be in the middle of your work day and it's really, really hard and you really need to recenter and, and just enter into the presence of God, just as Jesus was retreating and re-entering. Maybe it, that happens in the middle of your day and on your lunch break, you take time out of your lunch break to do that. Maybe that's what's best for you, but, but there's no right or wrong time in which to approach this time. You might do all three of those times. Whatever is best for your soul, That's between you and God. I can't tell you what to do, but I'm here to tell you that there is no right or wrong time to do this. Uh, There's also no right or wrong time to include this in your prayer time. Um, We've talked about lots of different prayers. Um, Maybe you want to start your prayer time with a few minutes of, of silence before you enter into some petitions and laments or your requests and your cries. Uh, maybe you need to end your time just sitting in the focus, just sitting and being in the presence of God. There's no right or wrong way to do that. You want to hear anything from me today? There's no right or wrong way to do this. Just as long as you're doing it. There's also no right or wrong way to, or no right or wrong length of time. We have sep- separated times um, in our in our rhythms. Maybe like a solitude retreat that is for a few hours. Um, but also, like for our daily, everyday life, you don't have to have a few hours. You, if you do, that's amazing. If you want to do that, amazing. There's no right or wrong in length of time. If you know you, and you know that your attention span, you've got three minutes, three solid minutes, that's what you got, that's awesome. You should do that. What is best for you? And what you might find is that you might start out with a few minutes, and then after some building and creating rhythms of doing this, you might find that after a few minutes is up, you're like, oh gosh, I wish I had a few more minutes. Um, A few years ago, or gosh, more than a few years ago, my daughter, who is now seven, when she was two, she stopped napping, which was tragic. (laughs) It was tragic because I like to have that time in the middle of the day to rest. And maybe it was more, more for me than it was for her. She also really needed that time, but it was definitely for me. And so we, we wanted to create a different time. Like, okay, well, she's not going to sleep. Then maybe we'll have something we'll call quiet time. And she'll go in her room. She will have her quiet time. I will have our quiet time. It will be done. Mommy will be happy. All will be good. Um, 
Well, when we first started this practice, she was not on board. Like, she was coming out of her room, like, every few minutes, like, I'm bored. Can I be done? And, like, it, but it just took some redirecting, like, okay, I hear you. Right now is quiet time. And so take her back into her room. We got her a fancy light that told, when the light is green, that meant quiet time was over, and we were good. And now it is several years later, we still do quiet time. And it is good for her. There might be times she tells me she doesn't want to do it, just as there are times that we might not want to pray. But I know that it's good for her. I know it's good for me. Because it, it forces us to rest. So you, again, you might be like, I've got three minutes. And as you create this rhythm in yourself, you might, you might find yourself with more time to sit in the silence and um, presence of God. All right. Now I've got some practical steps for us. Uh, the first practical step um, in a, approaching contemplative prayer is to think about your body posture. Um, to sit in a chair with your hands at rest. And actually, um, our, the, our psalm that we read this morning is actually perfect for this, um, for thinking about your body posture. Um, the, the message interpretation of verse 6 um, actually says that he's solid rock under my feet and breathing room for my soul. So that as you're sitting in this time, notice your feet. He is solid rock under my feet. To anchor your feet and think of God as the solid rock under your feet. And that he's breathing room for my soul. So that as you inhale and you exhale and you feel the space that your lungs take up, that God is breathing room for your soul. That the, that might be something you even say to yourself. Um, and you might use scripture um, um, to aid in this time. But to notice your breathing and to notice your body posture. So that's the first um, step. The second is to quiet your mind. Um, that this is about entering God's presence. If you want to add music here, you can. My challenge to you, especially if you are one like me who likes to fill the, the void with music, is to sit in silence. Um, but if you do choose music, that's great. I also challenge you to choose instrumental music because the goal here is to not be distracted. Um, have you ever been like having coffee with someone and you just can tell they're, they're there, but they're not really there? Like they're, thinking, they're, they're on their phone, checking their email, they're like, they're not really present. And so when we enter God's presence, we want, we want to be present. And so we, we quiet our minds for this. And then the third, the, the third step for us is to have a phrase or a word from Scripture to repeat. Um, some examples could be focusing on an attribute of God. Um, it could be uh, Father, Almighty, Loving God, Merciful, Holy, Perfect, or All-Knowing. Or it might be a phrase from Scripture. Um, some examples could be, Be still and know that I am God. Search me, O Lord, and know me. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. And so what you're going to use this phrase for is, is a, a, re, a repetitive phrase for yourself. And what you're going to use it for is your, when your mind wanders. Because, you guys, you're human. Your mind's going to wander. It's okay. And to give yourself that grace. But when, when you find yourself going, oh, the groceries, we really need bread, be still and know that I'm God. I never responded to that email. Be still and know that I am God. And you'll use your phrase as an anchor point to bring you back in. 
to give yourself grace to repeat your phrase when you start to feel it, Father, and you, and you come back into the presence. And so that's why having a phrase like that is really helpful. So today, we're going to practice this. I think sometimes we say, oh, that's a wonderful idea. I'm going to do that this week. And then come Thursday, you haven't done it. You have no plan of doing it. And it's forgotten again by the next Sunday. So what we're going to do is we're, we're just going to take just a few minutes, and we're just going to take some time. I want, you, I want you to feel your feet, to know that God is a solid rock under your feet. To notice your breathing. Um, maybe, there, maybe there's a word that you, need, that you know that you just need to re-anchor yourself. But we're just going to do this for a few minutes. Um, and at the end of the time, um, I'll pray and we'll, we'll start communion. But um, this, is a, this is a time to be seen by God and to see God.